So, okay, if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 5, <clears throat> or excuse me, Revelation chapter 5. And I want to tie some scriptures together, so <clears throat> Revelation chapter 5. This is a setting here in heaven where John is in heaven and and um, and it kind of goes to the chapter one of the introduction and then chapter four he begins to move the focus into a heavenly setting and it said that in um, look at chapter four and verse four it says surrounding the thrones were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. In front of the throne were seven lamps blazing, and these were the spirits of God, seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. So John is in heaven in chapter four here in Revelation, and he sees the, the Father and he sees these thrones that are around God's throne. And, and we've talked about this before. I believe that the 24 elders are a representation of the church. We just kind of, it kind of goes along with what David did in the Old Testament where he took 24 high priests and, or priests and they represented the priesthood because there was only so many people that could fit at the, the place they were doing the service. And and, and so you have this beautiful picture where, you know, we're in heaven and he sees the throne and he describes it as the seven spirits of God, which, which is referencing Isaiah 11. It talks about the sevenfold of the spirit. It's just a completeness because we know that we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have seven spirits. We have the Holy Spirit. And so John is describing a completeness of the spirit and, and also remembering that you can't describe the spirit what you see unless it manifests itself in some form just like when jesus was being baptized the holy spirit came down in a dove when the day of pentecost happened and the holy spirit filled and baptized them it came down as tongues of fire and so john sees the the seven spirits of god that were surrounding the the throne but verse six says also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal this celestial ocean that was clear this this celestial ocean that was there and god's throne was upon it now if you turn with me to genesis chapter one i want you to just kind of get the comprehension of what they are envisioning here genesis chapter one of this sea of glass. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And we talked last week how Jesus was there at the beginning. He was a part of creation. Nothing was made without him. So we have Jesus and the father that's there and the spirit of God that's hovering over this void and this emptiness. And look at verse 3, and it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning 
the first day. Just a couple things to point out here that out of the 2,300 times the word yom, day, is used in the Old Testament, it is usually referring to a 24-hour period. And the way the Hebrew mind worked was this, is that you worked during the day, you worked from sunup to sundown, and then there's evening, a time of rest, and morning, the completion of the cycle. And so they didn't, they didn't say there was, there was early morning, there was mid-morning, mid-afternoon. You know, they just described it because they understood you work during the day and there was evening and there was morning. I just told my girls that they had an eye appointment at 3 o'clock and Lily said, a.m. or p.m.? I'm not waking up at 3 a.m., girl. It's p.m., right? But we know the, the times of day because of the hours in which and the, 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 the way we read a clock, the way we tell time, we have a.m. and p.m. But in the Hebrews' thoughts, it was simply you work during the day, there was evening, and there was morning. And that's why, if you notice in verse 3, it says, God said, let there be light. There was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning the first day. When it comes to this chapter, how do we handle the book of Genesis? Because here's the problem. The Bible is not talking about the sun right now. Some people like to say that that what it, what it was was that there was this big old cloud cover and they couldn't see the sun and it wasn't revealed yet. It will be revealed in, in later on in day four when God creates the two great lights. They will be revealed then, the sun. But the problem is, is just a couple things. Number one, I believe that the literal reading of Scripture is always the best. Unless the context tells us differently, Unless the story that, that is being told is different, you, you know, you can figure it out in context if it's, if it's a figurative thing, if it's a literal thing. And so you got to let the context describe it and tell it as it is. And I believe that Moses, as he's writing this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, under the completeness and the guidance of the Spirit of God, is writing what God is telling him. We believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. Think about this, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's life. It's true. And so here, Moses is asked to write, there was light, and God created light. Well, we're not talking about the sun yet. And there's different ways that you could approach Genesis. And, and listen, there's a lot of different people that have different opinions about the creation. And what I've come to learn studying creation is this, is that it is a very controversial thing in the church, which I think is ridiculous. If everyone just believed what I believe, we would all get along. But I think, no, I seriously, I, I think it's ridiculous because why do we let something that's so beautiful be controversy? Well, because there's different opinions. People kind of stake their ground in what they believe. You know, it's kind of like, we you know, when sports come around, I am a Vikings fan. I am a, you know, Green Bay Packers fan. I think I've been purposely humbled by the Lord who put me in a section that, first of all, put me in a church that doesn't even like football. I mean, come on, Lord, you know? And, uh, and, and, then, and then he put me in a section surrounded by pastors that all love the Green Bay Packers. And I am the sole Lions fan. 
if I don't understand humility, I, I mean, I do understand humility, and I just, I also understand suffering and tribulation and turmoil, because every time I see them, I have to ask for forgiveness, because I know who they like. But, but the thing is, is that we take our stand, and, and, and some of us will take our stand in being a literalist when it comes to the Word of God. Some of us will take our stand and say, no, it's a framework theology. It's, it's an evolution creation story. It's, it's, I don't care what happens. As long as we know that God created it, it doesn't matter. And, and we all take our stand, and some people, some people like to elevate science more than Scripture. I think that's so wrong to do. I think it's so wrong to do because even Jesus, when he was talking to the Sadducees and they were asking about revelation or about resurrection, he says that you guys, because you hold on to your traditions, you have ignored the power of God, the word of God. And so, so let's just look at the book of Genesis as a whole for a second and let's talk about that for a second. Because Genesis is written as a historical genre. Genres are basically how you classify things. Like we would take the, the book of Psalms and we would say that's of the poetry genre. Or we would take the, 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 the book of Proverbs and we would call that a wisdom genre. That it's, it's written in a way to give you wisdom. Poetry is written in a way to be poetic and to say things that are not necessarily literally literal, but they're describing it. And we can look at the book of Isaiah and say, okay, this is a book of prophecy. So it's not just, it's not just you know, just giving us a historical narrative, because there are history things in Isaiah, but it's written as a book of prophecy. We understand that, especially when it comes to Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant. We know that Isaiah is, is writing this down, but he's prophesying about Jesus. And no one knew this until after the resurrection, that, oh, Isaiah was about Jesus. But Genesis is written as a historical document. It's written in a narrative way to describe what happened. And I believe the Bible, as written, was written specifically to guide us and to help us understand who the Creator is. Now, I want to ask you, how do you know God? How do you know God? Well, my mom and dad told me, or I went to Sunday school, or my grandma led me to the Lord. How do you know God? And how did they know God? The reason why we know God is because he chose to reveal himself through the word. He chose to reveal himself. And we read last week in Hebrews that, that, that God used the prophets and he used all different types of way of communicating, but now he does it through his son and through scripture. And that's been handed down Time and time again, the Bible. And I believe that God protects his word. I believe that God holds his word and says, okay, I'm going to protect it so that we can know God. And we know God just as much as Paul or Peter. We know God just as much as James and, and, and you know, all the Philip and all the disciples and all the people in the New Testament. We know God just like Moses. Actually, we know probably God better than Moses because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But scripture is so important. And so let's look at Genesis. Genesis is a historical thing. It's not a poetic thing. Some people like to say that Genesis was written in what's called a framework, where days one, two, and three deal with the realms, the, the, the structure of what God is creating, and days four, five, and six are going to occupy that structure. 
So you got the realms, the universe, the, the atmosphere, the earth, the land, the water, and then you got those that rule the things like the sun, the moon, and the stars, and, and, um, and you got animals that will occupy the land, and you got people that will occupy the land, you got the fish and the fowl that occupy the seas and the air, and so they divide up days one, two, and three, and they say that it's what, what, what's really happening is it's describing these realms and, and days four, five, and six are describing its rulers. Well, there's a problem with that. Then there's only three days of creation that God worked. There's only three days because if you say that day one is about a realm, the sun, the light, and then it's revealed in day four, well, that's just one day then. And if you look at Exodus 20, when Moses is giving the law, what does he do? He structures the commandment of the Sabbath around the creation week. We, he structures it around a week. He didn't say that for three days you work and then you rest. I mean, we would love that, wouldn't we? I mean, you know, hey, praise God, let's, let's just be biblical people. Let's just work three days. No, the Bible says that God created for six days and then on the seventh day, he rested. Moses followed that same example. You know, there are people in history that have tried to change the seven-day work week. They tried to do it like five days or, or days that would fit the calendar better by making all the months pretty much equal. And, but you know what? It never worked. It never hung around. Why? Because God modeled what we, what we live out today. The first day of the week, Sunday, all the way through Friday, Saturday, Saturday, the Sabbath, the rest and then Sunday we start again. And, but now as a church, we meet on Sundays not to replace the Sabbath, but to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And then we start off our whole week. Now our society came up with this two-day weekend, and hey, praise God, if you want to give us Sunday off, that's great. But the first day of the week, we're going to put it towards the Lord, and we're going to put him first. And then we're going to work throughout the week, and then we're going to rest. So the, the way Genesis is written is through a six-day period, not just three days of, of creating the realms and then, then, then revealing them in the next four days. It just doesn't work. It's not a literal translation. And I, I believe in a literal translation. I have no problem saying that our earth is young because I don't believe that there's millions and millions and millions and millions of years that are happening here. Because what our world tells us in science is that, that there was this singularity. They used to call it a cosmic egg, but then the problem is, where did the egg come from, right? So, so we got to remove God from the picture. And there was this singular moment, and it all kind of collapsed on itself. And from that singularity, boom, the Big Bang. And over billions and billions and billions of years started to develop the, the universe and the system that it has and the Milky Way and then the sun formed and the earth and, and all this stuff. And they come up with all these, this, this long period of time, billions and billions and billions of years. And then in their scientific model, just recently, as far as their time scale, recently people came about. People came about. And, you know, just 500,000 years or whatever it is, you know, ago, you know, we had the evolution of from monkeys into humans, and then we developed over time, and then all of a sudden we have internet and 
we can text. That's why God gave us thumbs, because we can text now. You know, they tell us that, but, but what does Jesus say to us in Mark 10? He said that at the beginning of creation, when God created male and female, Jesus says at the beginning of creation, when God created male and female, if you have to wait 14 billion years, that's not the beginning. That's like at the end. If you're telling a story and you know, you're getting through the, 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 the introduction and then the, 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 the chaos of the story and then the climax and then the conclusion, well, the conclusion would be when humans were created according to our world, that all these events happened and then at the end, humans were created. But no, Jesus said that at the beginning of creation, why would he say that? Because it took six days. It took six days at the beginning of creation. I like to take Jesus literally unless the context is noticeable and you can see it. Just an example of this. Jesus says it's better to enter heaven without one eye than it is two eye, to go to hell with two eyes that are good. Right? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, I understand Jesus is not talking literally. Why? Because he's talking about if things are causing you to sin, get rid of it. Because it's better to go to heaven, you know, with one eye than it is to go to hell with two eyes. And so the context there clearly tells us that Jesus is talking in a figurative language. But Genesis was not written in a parable setting or a poetic setting. It was written as a literal document. And so here's what it says. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. What is this source of light? Well, it can't be God because, you know, when, when, when we do see God in heaven, we will see the glory of God and it will be awesome. And in Revelations 4 and 5, you see the glory of God and the beautiful light that it creates. But that is something that is coming from God, but it is not God. God is spirit, the Bible says. And, and, and so you begin to ask yourself, well, what is this source of light? Because God is outside of creation. God is not a part of creation. He's outside of creation. He's the creator. Do you know that everything that we've ever made, everything that we've ever invented, everything that we've ever come up with is all using what God has already created? We can't create anything new. We can't create anything out of something from nothing. We can't do that. We always have to use something. You know, there's a great little saying, you know, you know, hey, I don't need God I don't need God in my life. I have science. Okay, let's prove God. God gives you breath. No, science tells us that we were born, we develop, we get lungs, and we breathe oxygen. Okay, you try it without oxygen, and I'll try it with oxygen, and let's see who wins, right? Because everything we have, everything we do, everything that we, we create is from something. But we believe in an all-powerful God who is able to take nothing and make it into something. And that's why he's creator. And if you notice in scripture, they praise him as the creator. Look up to heavens, praise the Lord. That God, the creator of the universe, the, the awesomeness of who God is. And so what is this light? It's a light. And what's the purpose of it? The purpose of it was to separate the darkness. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light and there was... Night, 
And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So here we have the conclusion of the first day. And I don't believe it's the sun. Because that's not created until day four. So what is this light? This light is something that God has created. It's such a beautiful thing. Because what you're going to see is that if we take the scriptures literally, we will see that it is possible to take it literally. And it actually is the simplest way to make, to make the Genesis make sense if you just take it literally. So God created this light. Turn with me to Psalm chapter, the book of Psalm chapter 104. Psalm 104. What is this light? Psalm 104. <clears throat> it says, praise the Lord my soul, verse 1. Praise the Lord my soul. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with the garment, and he stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on the waters, and he makes the cloud as his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind, and he makes his winds, he makes the wind his messengers and flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. I want you to see the description here. We started off with Revelation chapter 4. And it talked about how John sees these thrones that are surrounding the throne of God. And, and he also talks about the cherubim that surround them. But he says that it's set upon a sea of glass, clear as crystal. This celestial ocean, this, this beautiful heavenly bodies of water. And look what the Lord says here, or David, or the book of uh, Psalms says here. The author of Psalms 104 says, praise the Lord my soul. The Lord my God, you are very great. He clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. So here, the author shows that God takes this light, the light that he created, light. Light is good. Light is good, you know? How many ever lost something in the dark and all you had was that cheap little LED light on your phone, but man, in the middle of darkness, that thing is awesome. I wouldn't try driving down the highway in the middle of the night with your camera light because it's not that powerful. But light in the midst of darkness always wins, and God created light. And the Bible says that God wraps himself in light. God created light the first day. God created light. I believe, if we take a literal scripture, I have no problem reading verses 1 and 2 as part of the first day. Because if some people do what's called a day theory, and I know we're kind of going through a lot of technical stuff here, but I'll bring this to a close here. Some people believe in a day theory where, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and it was you know, without form, and it was void, and the spirit of the God hovered over the waters of the deep. And some people say that that's a separate event. But then when God started creation, when he started to, you know, to, to make things happen, it was day one where he started. And so between verses one and two and verse three, there's a long period of time. And we, you know, maybe that's where the millions of years come from, whatever. But it doesn't really make sense because the Bible says that in the beginning, a specific time in the beginning, 
And at this moment, God created the first day in the beginning. This is where it started. Just like when Jesus said, in the beginning, God created male and female. There's a start to this whole process. And then verse 3, it says that God created light. There was evening and morning, and it was the first day. So I have no problem taking verse 1 and including that in the first day. Why? Because the Bible tells us that God created all of the heavens and earth in six days. If you look at Genesis 2, it says that all of it was created in six days. So verses 1 and 2 logically have to be a part of the first day. And so, boom, God creates this, this, this earth, and it's got this water over the deep, and, 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 and all of a sudden light is created in here. How does the author praise God? He wraps himself in light. He wraps himself in light. And if you notice also the second part of that, he wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heaven like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. What waters? Well, in day two, you're going to see God is going to create what's called the firmament. And he's going to separate the water from below from the water on top. And the Bible says that he puts his beams, his chambers, his thrones upon the waters. And what does John see when he gets to heaven? He sees the sea of glass. Why am I, I saying this? Because I believe the creation story is such a powerful story. I love taking God's word. And I love holding on to it, just like we read today that I'm going to see a victory. It's about holding on to what God has said. Every promise, everything he's ever said to you is going to come to pass, but you've got to hold on. There are times when I am facing my darkest moments, and I have to think, God, you've never failed my ancestors. You never failed my mom and my grandma, women of great prayer. You never failed my wife and her family, people that ministry for years and generations. You never failed them, God. You're not going to fail me now. Why? Because you are the God who creates light. You are the God outside of creation. And you are the God who has established his throne upon the waters. You are a God that I look to. And this is why I get excited about creation. Because it reminds me that he's not a part of this. He's above it. And he is above your situation, whatever you face. Health, relationships, whatever you've been praying for. Revival that God has promised. The things that God has promised and whispered in my ear, he'll never fail. But we must believe that he's the God who created light. And he wraps himself with it. And he sets his throne upon the waters. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Read his scripture. Take it. Take it word by word. Read it. Enjoy it. Make it a part of your own. And you will see that the God of creation can create miracles in your life.